0: Good morning. This is Real Estate for Breakfast podcast, and I'm your host, Phil Coover of Shank Tepper-Campbell. The Real Estate for Breakfast podcast is a Chicago-centric commercial real estate podcast utilizing attorneys, finance, and real estate professionals to create thoughtful commentary on current real estate issues. This podcast is a mixture of real estate business and law. If listeners are interested in a certain topic, feel free to get in touch with us by contacting us at Solution Center at satcltd.com or by visiting our website realestatebreakfast.com. Today we have Dan McCaffrey of McCaffrey Interests. Uh, McCaffrey Interests is a commercial real estate developer. They also manage, broker, and lease properties, and they are a fascinating company. I've They've been on my radar for years, and I noticed them when I was walking down ICSC and I saw their uh, enormous model of what they're doing called the uh, Lincoln Common Development in Lincoln Park. But most of you know that as the former Children's Memorial Hospital right there uh, up in the heart of Lincoln Park. And so I wanted to have Dan on to talk about that development and just uh, development in general. And Dan talks a lot about big picture ideas and concepts about development and succeeding in the real estate world. And I thought it was a very interesting discussion. So I know that you will as well. And I just want to thank all of our listeners for uh, for writing in and for subscribing and giving us all these great ideas. So please help continue to do that. Help tell your friends. Leave us a, a rating or review on iTunes. And thank you so much. Before we get into it, I should mention that the podcast is produced by SATC Solutions Center, L3C, which is the Education and Development Division of the law firm shank Annis, Tepper Campbell. shank Annis, Tepper Campbell creates business solutions for individuals, entrepreneurs, and privately held companies. We partner with our clients to provide commercial real estate, business, estate planning, litigation, and insurance law guidance to grow their business and protect their assets. Now we have Dan McCaffrey of McCaffrey Interest. Enjoy. Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I'm your host, Phil Coover. I'm here with Dan McCaffrey of McCaffrey Interest. Good morning, Dan. Good morning. Dan, thanks for agreeing to do this podcast. I really appreciate you doing it. I'm really excited to learn about some of your projects here in Chicago. But if we could just start, I was looking over your bio this morning and I was wondering, you went to school in Canada. How did you wind up in Chicago developing over $2 billion worth of properties?
1: Well, you have no choice. I got married young and she said I should do it. That's fair. It's right. I was a school teacher. Well, I've told a lot of people this story and it's but it's true and it's kind of neat. Maybe a little bit somewhat inspirational for some. But I was a school teacher and uh you know, I was doing rather well kind of young um, and got bumped up into administration and I soon realized I was a school teacher because I really liked the kids. I wasn't so sure I liked the teachers when I became an administrator. <laughs> I don't mean to say anything bad about teachers, but being an administrator is a lot different than being a teacher. So my wife spotted that and said, you really ought to look around. And she made an introduction to a guy that made an introduction. The guy hired me on a whim to go into real estate. And it turns out the company I joined ended up being one of the biggest companies that exists today, you know, through a couple of mergers. Sure. And uh, they own the World Trade Center and all of this kind of stuff. So. I split off from them on my own in 1990, but they're the reason I moved from Edmonton to Minneapolis to Chicago,
0: and then in Chicago started my own shop. And that was about <coughs> 20, 25 years ago or so? No, 27, I think, 27, yeah, 27 now. So you your shop does a lot of different things. Um, I, I was first became aware of your shop through your development mm-hmm. that you do a lot of really large-scale projects. Um, Is that something that uh, you really have a great passion for?
1: You know, Phil, I'll tell you this, when you, I I explain it this way, whether I'm full of baloney or not, I'm not sure, I could be, (laughs) but I think in the real estate business, when you do something successful, something, something, um, you catch the eye of uh, your fellow real estate people, brokers, and so on and so forth, and if you did a duplex, someone's going to come to you and suggest you should do a fourplex. Yeah. And if you do a fourplex, someone's going to say, whoa, you did a great job with that. I've got an apartment building you could do. And if you do an apartment building, the next thing you know, someone will come to you and say, listen, I've got a track of land where you can do 10 apartment buildings. So it's not that we specialize in big projects, but there is no doubt about the fact that we have either allowed ourselves to be seduced into larger projects or it just, the appeal of larger projects has attracted us. But we do some small ones too, but the large ones get, they get all the noise. Well,
0: that's a great segue into the Lincoln Common. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a very large project uh, for our listeners. It's the old uh, Children's Memorial Hospital in Lincoln Park was the, is the site of it. And so tell us a little bit about that project, but also I'm just curious uh, what attracted you to that project. Okay, again, not, not meaning to be humorous, i am just tell you the truth. Not
1: much attracted me to it originally. Really? I was I was kind of down on doing it, but uh, I, I must have been susceptible to the, to the uh, allure of a young woman. <laughs> <laughs> the young woman in our office lived there, up in that area. Yeah. And beat on me, literally, for weeks, saying, we should do that project, we should do that project, we should do that. So um, she convinced me. And uh, it, took, it did take some convincing to respond to the RFP. And then, to my surprise, uh, we won the RFP. So that's how we, we got into Children's Hospital. And uh, I'm glad we did. I mean, it's obviously um, a wonderful, wonderful opportunity. Um, but part of my reticence. Um, was kind of justified. I mean, we're getting near, we're getting very near five and a half years. Yep. That we've been involved in it and we've just now broken ground. And I draw that to your attention because the glamor of what looks like big projects in the time period that it's taken us to get that project going. There are small real estate companies all over the country that might be on their sixth project, you know. Right. They can turn them out quicker and. A little less stress and a little more, a little more, uh, you know. Maybe, maybe, the, maybe it's easier. Maybe it's more fun. But there is no doubt uh, about the fact that we love it. It's going to be a great project, and we are now underway finally.
0: Yeah. Well, I was just admiring your model out yeah. in the in the front. That's what actually that's what sparked my interest in doing this podcast with you. Is I saw the model out at ICSE. Oh, sure. Yeah, that's a great way. To, for people to visualize the really the scale of it, um, 100,000 square feet of retail, 538 apartment buildings, 40 luxury condos, senior living, parking, and multiple pools, green space. I mean, yeah. it's going to be the, the crown jewel of that area, I think. We
1: sure intended
0: that way because if it's not,
1: shame on us, you know, because when you, when anybody gets an opportunity to have a shot at recreating a six-acre area within a, a wonderful community You know, a community that some would say doesn't need it others would say yes it's great but nonetheless getting six acres contiguous uh, acreage to uh, to do a master plan in a very established area that's that's quite a challenge and an opportunity
0: right yeah. well Let's back up a little bit. I was thinking, when you said uh, there was an RFP, a request for proposal, mm-hmm. who sends that out? Is it the owner of Children's Memorial Hospital? Is it the city that says, somebody please do something with this? No, or it who's was, asking it for was this the, to be it was, the, it
1: was the hospital. Okay. The hospital hired, um, you know, and, and, and um, oh my gosh, what was your name? For, and Bob Whistlow's company, before Bob's now with CBRE, you know, but, um, Marty Stern was the representative consultant hired by by children's hospital to uh, solicit the proposals. And uh, that's how we got it. When we got it.
0: So what does your process look like when you have so you say to yourself, I have six acres here of available space. Um, just in, the, in broad terms, how do you come up with the vision? To, uh, to generate that sort of thing and to forecast the costs and what you're going to do. And, and I notice you have a great partner in Heinz that you're working with. And mm-hmm. so how do you decide uh, what kind of partners you want to work with on given projects?
1: Well, um, first to the, to the vision, <clears throat> you know, the vision is uh, the RFP comes to you and you see the land and then you have to do a little bit of imagineering mm-hmm and as you imagine here, uh, work with a contractor, a good friend, and try to estimate the costs that would be associated with having that dream realized, and then you work backwards to a land price, and you submit your submit your bid ba- based on that, and hope to hell you haven't made too many mistakes. No. So we that's precisely what we did, and uh, in fact, uh, we bid against, or competed against Heinz, and competed against related and all the big guys. So, it's a it was a matter of some matter of pride for us to have been selected. I think we did a good job. We we, uh, we not a I we're told we didn't offer the biggest price. I'm not sure about that, but um, a compliment that we received was that the hospital board or others, I'm not sure, thought that we were of the character that could be properly received and accepted in the community, that we would do a good job with the community. It was very important to the hospital not to offend the community. So that and I guess our price and other things, we were chosen. And then we went through the um, you know—the whole approval process, which is, you know, that's, that's a... That's a challenge and a half. But we got through that, and when we got everything approved, or basically approved Then I, I realized it was uh, a big nut, you know, it's a big, big big chunk to chew at one time. So I have nothing but great respect for the Heinz people. So I approached them and said, would you like to partner? And so that's how we've ended up now, in a partnership. And they're fabulous people and fabulous companies.
0: Right, they also have a lot of great projects. Great projects, super great. When well, you were talking about the approval process. Are you referring to the city? Approval. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now the city. You know, surprised that people say the
1: city process. You know, give the government its due. The city, the city approval process is fairly black and white. You know, it really is. They have rules, regulations you follow. Them. It's, uh, but one of the rules that they have is they basically look at you and say, well. What did the community think about this? And of course, that drives you into the, the uh, living room of every, every house in right. the community. You know, I mean, everyone has an opinion, and, um, and the more you ask for their opinion, the more opinions you get. And then every once in a while, you might even uh, ignite a, <laughs> a flame, either positive or negative, but you have to deal with both. You know? So that, that's the community process rather than the city process is what really takes the time
0: yeah right um do you find that now that you've done so many projects that it's easier for you to get city approvals because you do a lot of work here in chicago that also in pittsburgh and uh was washington dc and denver yeah Mm -hmm. um do you find that your first projects was harder to to get approved by local government, or and now that you have such an established track record of successful projects, that it's um, it's just a little bit easier that you get the benefit of maybe some no
1: no the the, uh, the approvals uh, again not using the word city but using the word community cause the right. city won't approve you if the community doesn't weigh in somewhat positively at some point the um, the the system doesn't really change and uh, maybe hearkening back to one of my earlier comments about us we developers kind of progressing always to do larger and larger and larger the bigger the project is the more you're asking for the community to be involved so there, you might understand it's coming but there's no shortcut in the, and the city can't shortcut you've got to get approvals right so, not approvals they want to know that the alderman signed off and of course the alderman wants to know that the electorate had signed off. Without the electorate signing off, the alderman's not likely to do it.
0: Of course. Yeah. Uh, speaking of getting to be bigger and bigger projects, I noticed in the in the West Loop you have a project and uh, I think it was 1115, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's West Fulton. Um, it seems to be a little bit smaller than one of your projects. I, I read somewhere online indicated that you just, it, it seemed to indicate that you couldn't resist the fun of the, the exciting development that's going on in what in the West Loop.
1: There's some truth to that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, and I, I don't mind telling you, it's kind of fun for me to be able to say, if I didn't have a couple of young people on staff, I may not still know that the West Loop exists. <laughs> right. You know, it's Millenniumville. You know, it really is. Yeah. And it's a very, very exciting space you know area and uh, so uh, being beat up uh, here a little bit by the younger team you know let's go over those west loop west loop and of course the numbers and stuff they were throwing around i couldn't believe it but you know we have one person on staff we have a lot of people on staff that don't t- take no for an answer but well, one in particular is my son and you know they have the advantage of browbeating you when you get home you know, so uh, it's non-stop non-stop <laughs> mom did you know what that Anyway, you know it goes on and on So uh, fine, fine fine, I said go go find something so you know Wisely he chose something small That wouldn't uh, crack us over the head and so we have that and then we bought another one since We're
0: still poking around looking for others. I think Still exploring that West Loop yeah, side. I
1: think it's you know um, Certainly when it gets blessed by McDonald's, and blessed by uh, Uber and Google and all of these guys, uh, it's not going anywhere, it's not going away. Right. It's And then you can take a lot of peace in you know the fact that South of Market in San Francisco and the Meatpacking District in New York and the Strip District in Pittsburgh, which I guess we were the pioneers for that one, the Strip District in Pittsburgh. Um, the millennial, uh, the influence on real estate by the millennials and those who want to court the millennials, um, it's real. You know, they, they like to have these uh, real urban areas, but they're not, apparently, it would appear, how about that for a qualification, it would appear that they're not seduced by brass and glass. You know, they're more seduced by something that looks somewhat authentic, somewhat real. Um, you know, I commented on the fact that you have a tie on, I hope your audience doesn't <laughs> mind saying that. I normally <laughs> well, I'm do, I did lawyer, right? yes am a
0: conservative lawyer, I always show up with the <laughs> yeah, tie. Yeah, I'm a
1: conservative guy myself, I had a tie on yesterday. But you know, I get up and down the elevator here, even in the Hancock now, where we have you know, a lot of uh, PR firms. Jeepers, you know.
0: The world's changed. You know, you go to work and any, right. any number
1: of outfits. A out. lot of
0: people in the building with shorts and flip flops. Yes, yeah, yeah. shorts and
1: flip flops. Yeah, absolutely. So um, those areas that those areas that are more amenable to shorts and flip flops in all the cities in the U.S. Those areas are growing like crazy. Gaslamp District in in San Diego, downtown L.A. Downtown L.A. had been abandoned, as most people know for places like Orange, Orange County and so on and so forth. Hell, downtown LA now is just alive, but it's alive
0: with with the Fulton Market-esque development. Sure. Yeah, Yeah. well, I think you're being a little modest. You said you're no spring chicken and you need the help of your young staff, because I, I noticed that you've had, when I was looking at your projects, a couple things stood out to me. It seemed to be that there is a lot of them were projects that would be in areas that appeal to the millennial market. Um, you, you do have a lot of mixed use, a lot of retail as well as residential projects, and they all seem to be near mass transit in yeah. um, quality mass transit. Uh, is there a certain theme that you're going for? Do you feel like near mass transit is something that lasts? You know, honestly, nothing would please me more than
1: be able to say to you that I had a checklist and I won't buy if it's outside the checklist, but it's just not true. I, I think if if to give myself and anyone here in the office credit, I often say, we could drive by the next great green field in America. It's ready for massive development. We wouldn't see it. But when we drive down, when I drive downtown, and couple of the others you know you just can't help but notice something that's either beautiful and run down or in a great spot and there's something open next to it the one in there's a project in, that we did in dc area clarendon virginia it was a recycling center
0: mm. it
1: was recycling and all around it were these beautiful homes and all the rest of this stuff and, you know the family had owned it for years and i said holy mackerel if you you own that you could do something that turned out to be a super winner but it's not particular genius you know it's just that we are in an urban area and then boop here's this big open space what's it doing yeah but i don't i don't see it when i you know drive into you know, a suburb so much i really don't
0: right um I was just so focused on your story right there. I got lost on my <laughs> questions. Um, Good storyteller. <laughs> so, you know, kind of just furthering that question: What do you look for? Is it urban areas? Something that? Uh, you know, let's. When you finish the next project, do you always sort of just naturally have something coming on online, or are there are times you say, "I'm going to go find a project."
1: Well, the, the reality is, okay, there's a reality to it. It's not It's not all wishing, by golly. You build a company, and the next thing you know, you've got a hell of a payroll. I mean, it just happens, mm-hmm. right? Because you, you can't do this stuff by yourself. You have to have really talented people around you, hardworking people. And uh, you look and you're, holy mackerel, uh, we've got a payroll to meet, you know, this year, next year, the year after. And so you do get on somewhat of a treadmill. You, know, you can't kind of help it, because I don't like to lay people off. I wouldn't, you know, in the troughs and so on and so forth, don't lay people off. So I ask people to work extra hard when things are going well, but we always have, uh, we're always very receptive to hearing about the next deal because as Children's Hospital would show you, you know, the next deal, you may not get a dime out of it, in terms of fees or anything for two or three or four years right so you better have a few things in the pipeline to feed the beast because you know? then so we're always scouting you know we're always scouting around but it's not um, again it's not as uh, program oriented as you you might imagine because it, it's just not you know, if we again great thanks to the brokerage community. We get a lot of phone calls, hey, how about this, how about this, how about this? So you get a lot of those, so it's not like you have to get in the car and go screaming around. People bring you opportunities, um, and um, you really owe it to yourself and your company to take the time to go
0: look at them. When you complete a project and you you have the development done, do you prefer to hold on to that asset for a time period, or do you prefer to sell it, move on to the next project?
1: It, more, more of that depends on who financed it with you.
0: Um, I would
1: love, I'll tell a funny story, this is a cute story, you know. I bought the old Nike Town site for $23 million from my former company. Okay. We put some money into it and we sold it for $43 million. And I, my little piece of that, because I didn't know the whole thing, I didn't have the $23 million in the first place. But my little piece of that, I got a couple million dollars, and three million dollars, wow, I'm on easy street. You know, so 23 to 43, as you'd probably know, it sold last spring, a year ago, for 294 million. Wow. So my 43 million dollar, you know, great idea, Dan. Sold for 240, 293. So you asked me, would I like to hold things? Of course. But I couldn't hold them because I quit my job. That's my basically my first project, so you need money. Now later on, uh, Clarendon, the one I was telling you about in Virginia, to build it, it was 130 or 110 or something. You have to partner with an institution. With institutions, as you well know, in the real estate business, the people in the institution gets paid get paid and bonuses on the basis of IRRs. So you know, an IRR means ownership is on a stop clock. Right. You gotta sell that puppy now. Boom, you get a great IRR. Today, fortunately, a little bit of a reputation, a little bit of a pocketbook, I can start to look at some projects and say, we're going to hold them long term. And so we don't invite in the investor, the, the institutional investor that wants to turn them over quickly. So it's not so much what I want to do as what it What's necessary to do in order to get to a point where you've got a little bit of a brand, and you got a little bit of money in your back pocket, you can decide to hold more stuff. Again, because we got big so fast, you know, the project got big so fast. Right. Couldn't, you know, if I yeah, had to keep going. If I'd have stayed doing duplexes, I probably could
0: have kept most of them. But I didn't. When you When you're looking for a capital partner, what type of capital partner do you prefer to have? Well, there again,
1: you know, you, uh, most of them, most of them are quite, you know, they're quite obvious, you know, to they're, you know, the pension funds and life insurance companies. Right. They, I mean, they have a whole bunch of guys that are out looking for me, just like I'm out there looking for them, you know, kind of thing. So, after that, I, I would never play down for any, any young person that's listening and think that, you know, there's something to learn, anything to learn in this relationships. You know, a guy who gives you the best deal may not be the best deal. Just you better like one another. You are know, partners. And uh, we've had some rough starts with some folks. I, I, I think of myself doesn't mean they think of me. But I think of myself as a nice sure. fellow. You know, <laughs> good uh, distinction. Some other guy might think I'm not a nice fellow. But it's best if you can find someone that you think's a nice fellow and who thinks you're a nice fellow. And because the money's not gonna make a big difference if there's a fight. If there's a fight, if they don't end up trusting you and you think that they're taking advantage of you, the project's not gonna matter much. You know, you're know, you gonna end up in hell. So relationships
0: over, over returns. I feel that's a good lesson for all sorts of uh, areas of yeah. practice. I feel the same way with clients. You should really want to in the legal world, you really should yeah. want to work with people because uh, it, life is just too short. And oh, uh, yeah. it's just so much better if you're working with right. clients that you really enjoy and appreciate. And yeah, if they feel the same way, hopefully about you. <laughs> um, yes, that's what Joe. So, do you see any trends right now in, in the commercial real estate space? Is, you're doing a lot of mixed use, a lot of retail uh, and residential. Uh, is there, do you see retail curtailing at all? You know, it's funny, I was just
1: thinking about that. Uh, I've been thinking about that for a few weeks now. There's so much bad news about retail. We should all go into retail. <laughs> right, you know, great point. If real estate truisms don't completely disintegrate, we should all go into retail, but we should be very careful. I mean, we should. why should you go into retail? What retail will survive and where? So, um, I'm I'm trying to articulate a a um, description, let's say, call it that, of where we should look for retail. Because you, if it's if it's a great location, and there's a population around there, and so on and so forth. And not to offend her, although I wish she's not a she, but Ann Taylor, the store. If Ann Taylor goes out. Ann Taylor is probably going out of that center, not because of that center. Ann Taylor's going right. out because Ann Taylor's gone bad. You know, the, the company has gone bad. So, if it's a really good location and you're surrounded by nice homes, all the rest of that stuff, Ann Taylor goes out. That could be good news. Sure. Because the next tenant in, in probably pays up a wee bit, if, and the next t- next tenant in, in is excited to be there. So it puts more energy in the center. So, retail is definitely changing. Retail is definitely shrinking. But really good locations are not shrinking. There's still as few of them now as there was before retail started to go bad. One of the fellows said to me, uh, I think I was at ICSC, he said, you know, we're not over-stored. We're under-demolished. It's sort of a cute scene. You know? There is there was a rush to build a whole lot of stuff, you know. And a lot of it's on the periphery of the cities. And now you get all the millennials moving downtown and so on and so on. That's gonna change the character of a lot of the further out suburbs. And the story of that store closing is going to be in the New York in Wall Street Journal saying Ann Taylor stole ten thousand sold Oh, uh, closed 3,000 stores. Well, what if 2,780 of them were in far-out suburbs on each city? Right. You know, what if? So I, I think retail, um, all things
0: being as they've been in the past, it's not a bad place to look right now. Yeah, your comment about if everyone's saying retail's going south, that we should go to, it kind of reminds me of when right after the crash in oh Warren Buffett a few months later was buying stocks of everything yeah yeah just go the other direction and the
1: other yeah and you, but But you would do it like I said you know I haven't come up with the definition of what we should go scouting for but most most definitely um, the character retails changing you know it's, it's not good enough just to put in a bunch of stores you know people want to go to someplace where they it's like It's like restaurants and bars.
0: Yeah. Or, or a
1: better example, ladies' dress shops. Best ladies' dress shop in the city will not survive unless it's got other ladies' dress shops around it. Women don't go to a dress shop to shop. Women want to go where there's seven dress shops close proximity to one another, so they can look at different stuff, compare and contrast. No, they're not being. No, they're seeing all the options. So I think there's spots where retail will continue to survive quite handily and maybe even exponentially because of all the closings. Right. You, know, yeah, you the close a certain too. percentage and, you know, the Internet is definitely a player. But I, I do believe there's going to be an upside to that, you know, a leveling off where it just
0: grows as normal everything else grows, normal. Sure, I received a magazine just two days ago that's on my desk right now, and the headline is Retail is F-U-C-K-E-D, yeah. which is the the front page sure. of you know, It's okay to say it on the podcast, because yeah. it's the front of this magazine that came to me. And I, what I was thinking about is it, is it should say, 25% of retail, which is big box and surrounding, right. <laughs>
2: In all, but the, not all urban areas is, is F-U-C-K. that
0: doesn't yeah. make for a good headline. No, no, it, doesn't it doesn't sell matter. a lot no. of newspapers. Yeah. No. Um,
1: I wanna see to that I see that headline used a lot when it comes to the G O P. Yeah. I <laughs> <you> do. <laughs> um, I don't believe that either.
0: <laughs> so I wanna I always like to ask people, um, what is their biggest failure? That's a little bit of a dramatic way to say it, but just what? Do you have a project that you're that you're always like, oh, I wish I had that one back. Wish I would have done that differently. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's one that always comes to mind. It's uh, in Minneapolis,
1: and it was uh, I would give give our team a, you know, a B plus for a good try, but uh, easy to deflect blame. I don't intend to deflect blame. I should have been smarter. But we accepted an extraordinary challenge to build a project in an area that I knew well and that had a history of being bad. bad area. And um, then, you know, my Irish stubbornness got got in me. And I said, ah, I've got to make this succeed. I'll make this succeed. But the, the winds of change in the city weren't there at the time. And uh, in a way, I took on the politicians, I took on, you know, those, the negative sayers, and I should have listened to them both. Pol- well, the politicians were part of the problem. They, they wanted they wanted X, I wanted Y, and so the compromise was Z. But Z was no good. I should have known it. Right. And they wouldn't have known it, because they're politicians. They wanted to jam something into a, into a site. The site wasn't ready for it. And I went along and did a poor job of it. Now, for, fortunately, uh, my uh, lender and partners—we we got out with the skin of my teeth. But I never felt good about the project. I never felt good about the project. So that's that was the worst one, and only a real bad one. Yeah, that's that wasn't all that bad. We all got our money out, but it was.
0: Uh, It didn't make the difference that I wanted it to make in the city. Have you still uh, kept your eye on the the South Shore project?
1: Yeah. um,
0: Yes, I have, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Uh, What is your favorite building in Chicago? I always like to ask people that. You get a lot of different answers. Yeah.
1: You know, I don't think... I
0: think a building, every
1: time I go in it, I like to own it, it's that Santa Fe building where Skidmore has their offices. You know, it's an old building. It's beautiful. It looks out on the lake and on the park and all the rest of that stuff. It's gorgeous, but I don't really have a... I other than going around to these beautiful old buildings... I mean, sure. You Because know, you're not going to see them... Well, you might now. The way things are going over in Fulton Market, people may do some extraordinary old
0: buildings. You know, Extraordinary yeah, looking old buildings. Right, right. But, uh, like the CAA books. renovation. Yeah, that was,
1: that's, that was very, very clever very development.
0: Very daring.
1: You know, I tell you what, not afraid to say, I walked through that dunk on thing five times, six times. i go to the front and i say, oh, we got to have this, we've got to have this. And then i get to the depth of it and the L shape and stuff. Oh my God, it's impossible. It's impossible. These guys did a great job. They did a great job. Hats off, really um, tremendous.
0: It is it's a beautiful yeah. building
1: and they' made and they've made you know they've taken truisms again, I'll use the word truisms. something can only be so deep and then the back doesn't work anymore. you know they've taken things like that and then you don't have enough lights and so that and they threw it all out the window and they put restaurants back in this and a bowling alley over here and
0: this over there. amazing. Great. yeah that's yeah. on. Is there something that uh, scares you on a project? I just mean, when you're evaluating whether or not to go forward with a project, is there some some issue that is always a, a huge red flag to you, it's a stay away?
1: Well, the the red flags would be an early thing. but During a project, the um, thing I, I'd like to tell myself I'm most concerned with is being careful about the partnership thing. You know, who do you bring in as partner in the financial sense? And um, you know, do you do you feel a partner? Do you feel a partnership with them? Because one thing's for sure, you should expect something to go wrong. You just, you just you're damn lucky if it doesn't. But you should expect something to go wrong and you really don't want to be in a room with a guy or gal partner (coughs) who is delighted that happened because now they can get rid of you and have the whole enchilada or, you know, says, well, listen, that's your fault and then you argue over who pays up, how much, and so on. The ideal world, of course, is to always have a capital P on the word partnership, you know. So... Yeah, as so we get towards financing anything,
0: it's relationships, relationships. Yeah, it's been an ongoing theme in our podcast. It's that people really value their relationships, and people call it a connection business. And I was walking around ICSC, and it's just the, I think real estate is unique in that a small amount of people can create big, amazing things, mm-hmm. like truly physically enormous amazing things whereas you just don't see that other businesses uh, the Amazon's the world is a huge company with thousands and thousands of employees and other businesses it requires a huge amount of people but in real estate if you have a good partnership you can create some big and some beautiful things mm-hmm. and, uh, I think it's kind of unique to that industry
1: yeah, well it is. Um but maybe maybe what we're both saying is um, well these big beautiful things are all subject to a very a very unforgiving marketplace. Sure. If things turn against you, you know you're not God nor a doctor <laughs> neither one. So if the market turns against you, um, you should have a partner that understands it's the market that's turned against you, not your partner, and you're not going to turn against your partner. You know, I mean, not, again, not looking for uh, a pat on the back. One of the, the projects I mentioned to you that went bad, I, I called up our lender and said, you know what? We're gonna stay as engaged as we've ever been managing, but I'm not taking a managing fee. I just didn't think, I didn't think we should be getting a management fee while uh, he was struggling to uh, keep his principal in place. He, he so appreciated that. They've financed three projects with us since. Nice. Small wow. s- small gesture, you think about it. Right. It was in you know, a few hundred thousand dollars a year, but it's a small gesture in comparison to what he had at risk. And I hate to make it sound so mercenary now, but that paid off. Right. It paid off both in personality, like in terms I got a personal personality, I've got a friend that's personal friend not personal, personal friend in a business setting. And, uh, and he wasn't afraid of stepping up uh, two more times. So. I think that that's
0: a great lesson.
1: Yeah, it was, it was good for me.
0: What's your favorite project that you've worked on, if you have one?
1: Uh, no, you know, it reminds me, when I was a very young guy in the business and the company I was working for, which is now Brookfield, was buying a, a guy a whole portfolio of buildings from a family in Toronto. And the guy, our chairman, told the story that when he was in the room for the final signing of the papers and all this, he said, the other guy was so miserable. And he said, look, here I'm paying a billion dollars for all these buildings in downtown Toronto. The guy's miserable. And our chairman said to him, you know, Mr. So-and-so, are you okay? He says, I'm very sad. These are my stepchildren. <laughs> you know? And there is a certain amount of that. you know you fall in love with the damn things. right you know and yet you know you have to turn them over, sell them and that kind of stuff. it's not easy. hate to lose them but stepchildren.
0: Yeah, so nice. And no favorites. It's nice that you get to work on something that you grow to appreciate and love yeah. so much. Yeah, it's a nice way to spend a life, a career. Absolutely. Well, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I, I do like to ask people if they have any advice for young professionals, whether it's in real estate or otherwise.
1: I think I think I've, I, I think I've sort of uh, been repetitive on that score already. You've given us a lot of good advice. I, I relationships. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was asked that by the MBA class in uh, Grass Camp, you know, at Wisconsin. Okay. This this spring. And um, my, my comment there was, because I think it applies, I, I sort of made a sweeping, a sweeping movement with my arm and I said, take a look around you and don't forget a single name or a single face and you'll do great in real estate for the rest of your life. And I, I bet you, uh, unless you're a complete doofus, you know, <laughs> I bet you I was right because that room is full of future leaders in real estate. You know, guys like me, they don't even talk to them. Listen to me for a blabber on, but don't get to know me. Get to know guys in real estate somewhere around your age, five years older, 10 years older, 10 years younger, and cultivate relationships, because there's going to be a star come out. Someone's going to do well. Right. (laughs) A lot (laughs) of them are going to do well, and it's good that you know them.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, so relationships, number one. Yeah, I can think of a lot of examples of my friends from college. Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for your time, Dan. Really appreciate it. Okay. Hope it was no win. <laughs> it was great. Okay.
2: Nothing contained in this podcast shall constitute financial, investment, legal, and or professional advice. No professional relationship of any kind is created between you and the podcast host or guests you are urged to speak with your financial, investment, or legal advisors before making any investment or legal decisions. Furthermore, the opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the SATC Solutions Center, Shankance Tepper-Campbell, or any of its employees. This podcast is created by the host and guests' individual capacities. All opinions on this podcast are or have been rendered based on specific facts Under certain conditions and are subject to certain assumptions, and may not and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including, but not limited to, or use in or in connection with any investment purposes or legal proceeding.